Okay. Are you ready? Yep. I'm Amy Tanyi Zhao, a Chinese living in America. You want me to call you Amy, or do you want me to call you Tianyi? And I'm Meg, an American who is about to marry into a Chinese family. It allows people to have an eye into who we are as people and how we find our own identity in the world. We're the hosts of The Spark, a podcast that explores what it means to traverse between cultures and shares stories that intersect Chinese and American culture to interrupt cultural barriers and create connections. We have so far invited one of our, I would say, one of the most influential guests so far. She is a YouTuber, and she was an investment banker, professional dancer, and now she is a full-time mom, also a video producer and creator. She has a YouTube career, and also she's the mom of two boys. I follow her videos since day one because I know I follow her fabulous life in Singapore, and also imagine that one day it could be. Me or I could live a parallel life in some ways, so I reached out. I I took the initiative and tried to you know have a very productive conversation with this woman because her story really speaks to me and speaks to Meg personally, and we think that her experience can inspire a lot of people who are listening to our podcast. And also, this is her podcast debut, and this episode will be bilingual as well. So. Thank you so much, Diana Lee, Cool Mom Diana, for being on our podcast today. Hey guys, thanks, Amy. Thanks, Meg.、Uh, I mean, it's it's so great to be here, and I've been wanting to do podcasts actually. So thank you guys for like introducing me to this genre,、um, and thank you for following me from the beginning.、Um, <laughs> I actually haven't been doing videos for all that long, but it's actually been Um, very inspiring for myself as I go through the process because when I receive feedback from、uh, friends like you who say that you enjoy my videos, like that is the primary motivation for for creating.、Um, so so thank you and thank you for having me. Absolutely, we're so happy to have you on. And like Amy said, I mean, you're how I, I think when I think of you, I think of balance. You have literally so many different things going on at all different times. You're a mom. You have your own、uh, your own projects and your your channel that you're working on right now. And you have this incredible story of of what you've done、um, before you were a mom and your career and and all of that. So I am so excited today to dive in with our guests and and talk about this. And I'd like to mention we were just talking before we hopped on here that we are recording this on International Women's Day, and we did not plan that.、Yes. <laughs> oh my god! Perfect timing. What, perfect timing. What a better episode! Because seriously, women run the world. I stand、totally. by that one hundred percent. And Diana, you are a woman who you literally run your world. I mean,、mm-hmm. when I see your content、um, out there, I mean. I just look at you sometimes, and I think to myself, "How does she do it?" Because you just <laughs> seem to pull everything off so flawlessly. So I'm super excited to share to share your story and share share you with our audience. So I guess with any story, <laughs> I always say this in all of our interviews: the best place to start is always at the beginning. So could you open us up and just tell us tell us your story? Sure. Wow, it's you know it's always difficult talking about your own story. And、uh, when I was 
sort of thinking about this, I was like, what is my story? Even though I'm a video creator and I, I, and I think about this all the time, right? But um, like you said, everybody's stories is very intimate. And my story definitely starts from my uh, family and where I was born. So uh, I was born in Hong Kong to musician family, uh, to musician parents from Fujian, actually. So um, I grew up in the trilingual family and uh, we spoke Mandarin, Fujianese and Cantonese at home. And I was in Hong Kong until seven. And then I moved to Singapore where I got most of my education. And then I moved to the U.S. when I was 19 and attended college at UC Berkeley. And I studied economics for undergrad. Um, and then I met my husband, Donovan, at Berkeley while we were both dancing on the Berkeley <laughs> ballroom dancing team. <laughs> and um, I mean, dance actually became a major part of our relationship and our lives. Like we became dance partners and, you know, danced ever more seriously and eventually moved to New York uh, a, a little bit later. But just a bit more about him, he's an ABC and his parents were from Taiwan and he grew up mostly in LA. So when we first got together, you know, I was sort of fresh off the boat from Singapore <laughs> and he was really the one who introduced me to America and American culture and American English, you know, just um, everything American, I, I think pretty much came through him. And, um, and I think, uh, the, the next part of the story is kind of like my entire career path after, uh, after college. Um, as Amy mentioned, I started out in investment banking and finance in Hong Kong. Um, but shortly after that, it was the financial crisis because we graduated around that time. So, right. uh, yep. So <laughs> it was quite tumultuous. So I ended up moving back to the U.S. and I worked for a online advertising startup. Uh, for a little bit, but that failed spectacularly. <laughs> but it brought me back to the US. And what happened there was that uh, even though I was extremely comfortable in San Francisco, you know, that's where I went to school, that's where all my friends were, I never liked the Bay Area. <laughs> I hope mm. this doesn't offend anyone, but like it never felt like my city because I felt like it just lacked. Um, diversity of industry you know everybody was in tech it lacked totally. the overall yeah it lacked appreciation for uh beauty at least the way i see it is like you know people are extremely intellectual and there's nothing wrong with that i love that but i also want to balance that with uh, an appreciation of art and beauty so eventually um i quit my job and then moved to new york um, I applied to Parsons um, and got into their fashion design program. Um, so decided to move to New York to kind of um, kickstart the next chapter in my life. And, you know, I told Donovan, you know, you could come with me or not, but I'm going to go regardless. Um, but luckily, luckily enough, he actually also found a job in New York at the same time. He became the first product manager for Spotify in the U.S., um, so we then moved to New York together and that's sort of like the whole next chapter of our lives. You know, it was very much about self-discovery, about um, experiencing everything that we haven't experienced before. Um, 
And, and then we got married. And right after that, we both moved to Beijing, China together, which is this entire other beast to tackle. Um, and uh, we moved there because he got an amazing opportunity with Xiaomi, uh, which is um, a Chinese cell phone maker is one of the largest in the world right now. Um, and uh, we decided to take on the opportunity and move there. And um, on the one hand, there were a lot of challenges with that. On the other hand, uh, it was also the ride of a lifetime, right? Um, not only do we get to see China progress at lightning China speed, uh, <laughs> but we kind of also got to experience that while tagging on to one of the fastest growing companies in China at that point. Um, and yeah, during this time, you know, I had my two babies um, during which uh, like I had my two babies and then I wasn't working during that time. But recently we moved to Singapore and the kids are a little bit older. And I knew that I just had so much in me to share with the world that um, I had to do something, but for so long, I, I was searching for, should I go back to work? Should I start a company? You know, none of those things felt completely right because if I were to go work full-time for a corporate job, right, it's going to take up a huge chunk of my time and it's inflexible. And at that time I wasn't sure if I needed to work for money um, or rather I, I didn't need to work for money, which is extremely fortunate. So what I had to work for was self-validation, right? So, the, but then I had to make sure that that time commitment was uh, really a worthwhile trade-off because otherwise I should be spending that time with my kids, right? So, right. Uh, yeah. So eventually I found video making on my 35th birthday, which was, what is it, like seven months ago. And you know, it just felt like the thing that I've been waiting for all my life because I, I was a musician growing up. I was a dancer throughout my 20s. I've loved video and storytelling all my life, but somehow just never got into it. And creating videos kind of tied together all the aspects of my life, of my talent or of my passion and uh, became this kind of organic thing that took on a life of its own and you know of everything that I've done and I've done you know really a random mix of a lot of things <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I, I mean I'm, I'm just really loving it right now yeah it's amazing because <clears throat> when I look at your journey I saw that every step that you took it was almost starting from ground zero and it that really that really struck me as how courageous you must have been in order to to start from from there and also carry on even not carrying on I think even mm. like switching into another industry that requires courage and I think right. deciding not to do something is a form of courage as well so I think that is why we we really want to dive in. And right. I think um, as you were talking about, you know, just in this podcast, both me and Meg, we were um, navigating ourselves. We were trying to complete the self-growth while um, 
while we're continuing our relationship with someone who is from a completely different culture, I don't want to, you know, put a special emphasis, like we said in a prequel, I don't want to put a special emphasis on the relationship, but like it or not, it was a big part of us. And it is still a big part of us. And um, uh, as we know that Meg, congratulations again, she um, moved into her new house, actually, she got married last year. And now she's Congrats, um, Meg. You. <laughs> I know she Thank moved you. Into her new house <laughs> with her husband um, from China. Mm-hmm. And I'm living in Manhattan with my boyfriend, who's American. So I think mm-hmm. um, for us, and also for you, like moving into moving from place to place while yeah. maintaining a relationship, it's something yeah. that is incredibly significant while completing your self growth. And I yeah. think, how did your relationship evolve with your husband as you move through nuances of a cross cultural relationship, and also as you move through, you know, your self um, growth? How, how did you? figure it out oh man oh man there's (laughs) there's so many aspects of that um I think Donovan and I are extremely fortunate and also quite unusual in the sense that we got together when we were so young like we got together when we were 19 and we've been together for 16 years now and we've literally moved you know cross continents you know across cities and we're definitely not the same people we were 16 years ago and i feel like you know a lot of people ask me how do i keep the re- relationship fresh like i don't keep it fresh like it's impossible to stay fresh what happens is that we keep changing and you just kind of learn to fall in love with the new person that you've become that, that he's become yeah it. so <laughs> So, yes. Yeah, and you know, it's it it comes with so many challenges definitely. Well, first you need to be committed to being in the same location whenever one person wants to move and we've kind of taken turns supporting each other. So when I said I wanted to go to New York, he quit his job at Google, he supported me and moved to New York. I mean literally within like a 2 week notice because I'm crazy. But like <laughs> But he really did support me then. Um, at the beginning of my career, I, you know, I stopped investment banking partly because he was in the U.S. and I decided to move back to be with him. And eventually, moving to China, you know, that's in support of his career. So, um, being committed to each other pretty early on in our relationship, you know, helped us navigate those transitions. And it's not an easy one because um, as people develop into different stages in life, you know, like uh, college is a very distinct uh, time in our lives. The few years after college is also very distinct life at distinct time and then so on. Every five five year is completely different. So to to have that commitment early on allowed us to kind of um, make sure that we're still with each other when these massive changes occur. Um, And then sort of from a cross-cultural perspective, um, there's actually a lot of nuances when it comes to like the power dynamic between the couple. So when I first went to the U.S., um, from a personality perspective, I I was dominant. But from a suitability to the environment perspective, he was dominant, right? Because he's American, Mm -hmm. right? So he was my clutch and we balanced each other really, really well. Um, We relied a lot on each other. 
Um, and um, so he later on when we moved to China, that relationship actually flipped. So um, he became um, foreign. He, he became a foreigner in a country where he needed to speak a second language. And I realized that, um, well, maybe I was being selfish, but a lot of the things that, you know, was so impressive to me, you know, his, his language ability, his communications and all these were taken away from him. Right. So in, in a, in, in that kind of a, um, cultural void almost, um, I, I had to, um, continue to kind of love and support him through that. And the switch was also that we became focused around him, his career. Um, and that's, uh, I think that's somewhat unusual, I think. Well, I mean, as people, uh, okay, that's not entirely unusual, but uh, at least in terms of the modern narrative that modern women go through, which is, you know, we need to be independent. We need to have our own thing, our own careers. Like that just didn't gel well with my personal identity at that point in time. Mm. Um, yeah. What else would I want to talk about here? So you're saying, so I, I want to dive into that last part that you said. So when you said diving into your personal career, that, are you saying that that wasn't the time for it is what you're saying or how I, I want to unbox that just a little bit with you. Oh um, yeah. Because we moved uh, when we moved to China, it was entirely for his work. And I actually right. quit everything that I was doing in New York. Like I had a design studio at that point. So I actually shut down my company and we just moved. So I was the expat wife, right? I was the tag along right. wife. Um, and um, yeah, every identity that I had for myself up, up until that point was, you know, completely, uh, it was like complete upheaval, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I have to say, like, when we made the decision together, uh, it was maybe somewhat naive as well uh, to think that, um, you know, because you hear all these challenges about being in China. Um, mm-hmm. But we were like, at least I was like, dude, I was, a, it was, I was an investment banker. I, I know what working busy hours is, right? right. Like. So, so I was like, okay, well, at most you go there and work really hard for a couple of years. That's, that's no big deal. I can take care of myself. Um, but then, I, I mean, I realized that losing that center of focus around my life, which is pursuing, uh, pursuing what I want, you know, having people view me as me and not right. as an attachment to my husband, mm-hmm. that was you know, I didn't realize how important it is, but have, after having experienced China, I realized I never want to go back to that state where people just think of me as my husband's wife. Right. Yes. That I love that you bring that up because that's something that I, I definitely noticed that when I went to China for the first time and then, and then again, the second time and spending mm. time with my husband's um, family and, and seeing his whole world when I went, you know, in the, in the United States, I'm, I'm very used to being very independent, very strong. I have my own identity. Um, yes. You know, he's his person. I'm my person. And yes. we have these lives that run parallel together. And yes. 
we wave from the side, you know, from each side, Mm -hmm. but we're like right in the same, same places, you know, but then when I went to China and this is something, actually, I love that you bring this up because this is actually one of the first things that Amy and I talked Mm -hmm. about the night that we met, because there were just, it, it was like, I was, it was a year into my relationship with my husband. We were still dating at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but Amy and I were sitting at that dinner table and we were just talking about different things. And I said, yeah, it just seems like sometimes there's friction in our relationship when I want to pay for things or when I want to, you know, kind of, I don't it's not like I'm asserting my independence, but it was more like, you know, I'm just being my independent self and, Mm -hmm. and my husband fully supports that, but it was just, I noticed that there was like a little rub. And then when we were in China, it was very much like already there's a language barrier for me. So can't really like get involved in conversations all the time. Like I would like to, but another thing was that Amy explained to me, she said, well, he is a Chinese man. And if he can't take care of you financially, or if he can't, provide for you in that way, then in some, in through some lens, he's a failure in that regard. So you need to let him do that. So there's no friction in your relationship. Um, but I did notice that in China where I know that's a little bit of a different situation than from you and your husband, but in China, I'm very much how Chung's wife, you know, I'm not and, and in some cases, like his family is very progressive, like the women do run the show in his family. Mm-hmm. But when we're out and about, I do notice that. So it's very interesting that you bring that up. And, yeah. and, and to hear your story too, about how, you know, it was, you guys seem like you traded off every once in a while, you know, he would, mm-hmm. he would, he would pick up and move for you. And then you would do the same for him. And I think that is such a cool dynamic to be able to have that understanding with one another. Um, but for you, it seems like this time was a little bit different for you. Like a little bit, you have the, you're, you're traversing into another culture, you're moving to a different country. Um, and then it's this whole other like cultural layer and dynamic. So where were you at in that moment? Cause you mentioned a little bit about how, you know, you felt like you're just his wife. And, and so can you tell us a little bit more about what that was like for you? And did you, I, I have to ask too, and just timeline wise was, did you have kids at this point as well? Yeah. So when I first moved to Beijing, I didn't have kids yet. So okay. I had Sebastian, I, I got pregnant with Sebastian about a year after moving to Beijing. And actually that first year, um, you know, I wasn't even really in Beijing. I was probably traveling like 90% of the time because I, I think um, at that stage, Beijing was a very difficult city, uh, especially mm-hmm. in juxtaposition to New York, I think. But it actually got much, much better over time. Like in the beginning, I actually felt like I couldn't live there. I couldn't like, wow. I, was, I was ready to get up and go. I was like, maybe I'll just move to Shanghai. You know, maybe I'll see you in, you know, two years, whatever. <laughs> but but after I got pregnant, then it was sort of like, okay, well, let's, well, we got to decide on somewhere to just kind of settle down for at least, you know, one or two years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, going back to being seen as his wife, I think, okay, part of that is cultural, like Meg, like Meg mentioned, um, how the Chinese um, do see the man as sort of the center of the family, mm-hmm. even though the women 
you know, actually modern Chinese women are extremely powerful as well uh, to some extent because the uh, cultural revolution actually destroyed a lot of the old biases against women, even though, right. you know, yeah, even though it, sexism still exists, but it's, it's not in the entirety that we understand it to be. Um, and then, uh, so, so part of that is cultural, but part of it is also situational because, um, because of his particular opportunity in China. So um, I think it was, uh, was a huge career move. So it's mm-hmm. quite typical for um, wives of um, execs to, you know, be seen as attachments, right? <laughs> and then, right. <laughs> so, um, but um, before we moved to China, I think we kind of had this fascination, right? It was sort of like, okay, how far up can we climb? Right. Well, that sounds, I don't know, does that sound bad? But, you know, to be completely honest, it's kind of like, I wanted to see, you know, where his career could take him. I wanted to see where, you know, what are the other echelons of life that we haven't seen or experienced, right? Like, so, um, Mm -hmm. but having kind of gone that and seen that, um, I really, we really missed being in a much more sort of equal um, relationship. Um, I mean, that's how our relationship started. And right. now that we're back in Singapore, we're kind of a little bit back to that equal footing. Um, yeah. So I hope, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, it's all very interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things that resonates so much in talking with you is because I feel like in a way, I mean, I, I look up to you I, as kind of the manual, the guidebook of, of how to navigate all of this, because I know that that's coming for me um, in the future, you know, and I, it's in the talks, like, you know, as far as we're in the United States right now, but I could never tell my husband, you know, oh, we won't move back home. You know what I mean? For him. So um, it is very interesting to talk with you about this. And, you know, and one of the other things that I think is really interesting um, for our listeners and, and Amy and I know we're, we're both interested in it too. So you were, you, um, did you have your, your children in Beijing during that time or? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, actually. So both Sebastian and Killian were born in Beijing. Um, and, yeah, you know, actually, surprisingly, the healthcare system there, or at least the hospital that we were at, you know, it was extremely good. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I probably had a better birthing experience than most of my friends in the US because, um, you know, like, you know, girls, we, we will share notes about this, right? This is the birth story is, is sort of a major right. story in your life as, <laughs> as a mom, as a, as a woman. So after sharing stories, I think... Um, you know, a lot of my friends in the U.S. have pretty traumatic births, at, at least the aftermath of it, because the support system around it is so lacking. It's kind of I, like, I mean, the joke is kind of like, you know, you have a weekly checkup up until a point where your baby's born. And then, you know, you have your vagina cut up, essentially. And then they're like, OK, you're not dead. OK, cool. I'll see you in six weeks. And you know, home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a very bizarre um way of thinking about it, you know, whereas I'm, uh, I'm so appreciative, actually, of the fact that the Chinese have a traditional uh, have a tradition around 坐月子, 
mm-hmm. the sitting in for the month. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, even though, you know, there's, there's different variations of that. And I didn't really do a variation of that, but it was just focused around recovering after birth and realizing that a postpartum woman needs a lot of help. And this is a case where individualism uh, does not like, it's not a case where you're like, Oh, you're, I'm, I'm going to be so strong. I'm going to like push yeah. through this. No, like your body went through some major shit. Like you need your village, you know? Right. And, yeah. And I think, you know, um, in the U S you know, we, appreciate our freedom and individualism so much that we kind of avoid that interference from the family kind of as mm-hmm. much as possible. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But, but these are times when if the family can come together, if we can, you know, sort of put our individual uh, identity aside for a little bit, just kind of to support the women and the new baby and, and, in the clan, you know, then (laughs) it's it's such a different experience. Absolutely. What I realized after coming to the States is that freedom always comes with a price. Yes. Um, It's not Mm. just a freely given thing. Once I want more freedom, I do my part of the chore. I take my part of the responsibility. Whereas in China, um, you're taking, being taken care of, you're fine. And, um, and I think that is just a reality that sometimes I have to juggle with because I, I sometimes wonder, like, would it be easier if I mm. just did not come or did not because the rebellion self wanted that freedom, mm. but the rebellion self didn't think it through. <laughs> like, Because mm. um, it's always easy to give up something that you have, mm-hmm. but it's not easy to go after something that you have already lost. I don't know if it makes sense, but I think sometimes like I'm just thinking, mm-hmm. especially thinking forward into like future and because I've been around with this culture so much like by this, I mean, you know, the Western feminism, individualism, I've been around it. Um, I was very mm-hmm. fortunate that I'm able to surround myself with this kind of I- ideologies and so many strong women. But at the same time, sometimes I think it's a little bit too much because it comes down to 退一步海阔天空, right? Even mm-hmm. that type of um, uh, compromise is seen yep. as as weakness. Like, for example, if if you just tell people like, you know, Diana, get off everything you have in New York and move to China with your husband. And like that story um, might be treated as like, okay, you're that woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah oh and, totally it's just for me like now that growing up i see it i was like that's an amazing compromise because it allows you you have what you wanted and that's eventually like the the ultimate win that we're talking about because you're happy and that is the most important thing well i, I mean it's so it's so interesting you bring that up because i think a lot of my personal struggle when i first went to china was precisely because of what you said you know i have this internal narrative of it's not okay. Like, it's not okay for me to not have my thing, you know? Mm. And, um, and that narrative itself may, may be the experience a lot worse than it needs to be. And actually, there's a lot of, you know, maybe other ways of enjoying it, if not for this particular narrative I had in my mind. Um, 
Now, even though eventually I decided that this is the way I prefer to live, you know, having a more equal relationship, but I do think that modern women should, or families, should be given the choice to choose if they want to have, uh, you know, two working parents, or like, or have one working parent and the other parent supporting, you know, or stay-at-home moms, you know, like these are all, you know, realities that women face and they choose and. None of us should be passing judgment on whether or not you know that person has made the right choice. You know, is there a life? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, well, and you know what? One thing that I was thinking of while both of you were talking is about, you know, um, one thing that you just touched on earlier, Diana, is that you know when you have children in China, for example, there's a whole village around mm-hmm. you helping you before, after, you know. Yeah. And here in America, there's I think there's in some ways, when it comes to those kinds of things, is a sense, like almost a false sense of strength, because Mm -hmm. when you're so independent that you don't have any help at all, and it feels shameful to ask for help. And Mm -hmm. like, I mean, how far do you need to run yourself into the ground before, you know what I mean? Before you, before you, you have nothing left to give. And that's something that I think is very interesting in the sense that I think, it almost is a testament to basically there's a time and place sometimes for independence, especially when it comes to motherhood. And when it comes to the family unit, I mean, like right now um, I shared this before, before our, our episode started, but I'm currently babysitting my friend's daughter right now. And it's, it takes a village, you know what I mean? Like you can't, and, and she, my, my friend, she's a very dear friend. She always has a hard time asking for help. And, um, she really needed help tonight. And so I said, of course I'll do it, you know, because it, it does take a village. It's, it's crazy to think that a woman alone can handle literally everything and then some and not yeah. have any help and not feel okay to ask for help. And is that's, that's a huge difference that I think about all the time is because, in China, it's like help is given. It never even really needs to be asked for in those situations, right. it feels like. Right. And, oh, yeah. And, so this is yeah. fact, just, yeah. just going back to what Amy was saying, right? Like asking for help is seen as such a weakness in, mm-hmm. in the West, whereas it's not really a weakness in, in China. It's, it's like an expression of love to accept help, isn't it? Like, yeah. So, you're smart to ask yeah, for help. Yeah, you're smart to ask for help. And actually, now that I've experienced, actually, I've now experienced kind of three types of motherhood setups. One is sort of like the pure uh, Western, pure U.S. Uh, version where, you know, you have the two parents uh, being the main everything, right? It's, it's a, a small family unit to sort of the China version with kind of an extended family unit help. So actually now in Singapore, actually, there's this other version where you have the ability to hire live-in help, right? Ah. Um, so I would say that I'm extremely happy with my current arrangement because when there's only, say, family helping, uh, uh, the American part of me does feel like, okay, I don't want my parents to baby me as well. I don't want them to be making parenting <sighs> decisions for me, you know? Uh, Right. right. Whereas if I were when I travel to the US by myself with the two kids then I'm like, oh, crap, I really do need that break, you know, because as a mom, then you pick up all the slack, right? Like you, you just give up 
yourself and your own time in order to satisfy whatever gap that needs to be filled. And that's not a long-term sustainable thing to do either. So, right. So what um, being in say Southeast Asia, we're quite fortunate is like to be able to hire a live in help is like, they are there when you need them. And also you're able to tell them exactly how you would like to educate or take care of your kids in a way that you can't tell your parents. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so that's a, yeah. So the, you know that's a very interesting compromise, and I, I found that to be so relaxing from a parenting point of view. And I hope like this doesn't come across as sounding you know like snobbish to anyone. You no. know because no. um, because um, hiring help uh, in this part of the world is is very very common. And actually, yeah. I also want to give a sort of a shout out and. A, and acknowledgement to the women in my life who make it possible for me to pursue my dreams right now. It's, it's because my mom is here. It's because I have a full-time live-in helper. That's why my husband can go off to China now on a business trip for the next couple of months. And I can still do my video creation and pursue that as my next career. And I cannot imagine um, trying to do that if I didn't have all of this support and all of this help. So I guess what I'm trying to say is um, take advantage of whatever access you have, you know, and don't be uh, bogged down by what society perceives as acceptable or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so well said. And I, I, I really like that. We just... Um, just be very clear and straightforward about it because you know women who know what are the best for themselves are eventually the strong and powerful women no matter what that means like whatever means that you take we take um as long as we get what we want that's that's the most Mm. important self-empowerment and women empowerment and like going back a little bit about you know you being you analyzed the different types of cultures and the different types styles of motherhood, um, so it's obvious that not only you are fluent in multiple languages, you're also well versed in multiple cultures. Well, not only does that compound your identity, I used to think that you were born and raised in the U.S. Like, I, but at the same time, I heard you speaking Chinese. I was like, she's a local. <laughs> um, it definitely compounded your identity, but how do you feel that has impacted your identity as a wife and a mother? What type of environment that you envisioned your child or your children are going to live in as a multicultural mom? Hmm. Oh, wow. Wow, you guys are asked like really deep questions. <laughs> I gotta think that That's through. how confused we are. Like, <laughs> So can we just ask you everything that we want? We're writing all the notes right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, confused is a good place to be because you need to have confusion before you can have clarity. If you don't oh, even have, yeah, if, you, you're, if you're not even confronting your own confusion or lack of certainty, then you'll never really discover what's going to work for you. So um, when I was growing up, I was always feeling in between. I never really found a sense of belonging because, you know, when I was in Singapore, people said I was from Hong Kong. When I moved to the U.S., you know, I'm from Asia. When I moved back to Asia, I'm from the U.S., you know. um, 
And there's just not a single group that I could easily be like, okay, I'm from here. You know, you guys get me. No, there isn't that. And I was always searching for that growing up. But over time, I realized that that group or that sense of belonging actually no longer needs to be attached to a certain locality or nationality. There's a growing group of highly international people who have backgrounds that cannot be summarized in one sentence. Um, And I think the world is rapidly progressing in that area uh, towards that direction. So I think my kids are going to have more of of their peers in a similar situation. But what I really want to teach them is to be proud of being Asian. I think that, yeah, that is, um, I think a lot of Asians who move to the America, move to the U S or Asian Americans can identify with that sense of not being confident of who they are, of having insecurities around their own culture and their own history, simply because in the last maybe a hundred years, um, Asia or China was in the relative position of weakness, but that is rapidly changing. And, you know, the future holds so much promise for both cultures. I'm really hoping that it will progress in the direction of um, having much more appreciation for, for every culture in the world. And I say this like fully committed and knowing that I'm deeply proud of being Chinese, of being Asian at this point in my life, even if there were points when I questioned that. Absolutely. I think that is so, so important, especially for the next generation too. I mean, that's how the world changes is with that confidence and that, I don't know. I just, that's something my husband and I talk a lot about it because we know that kids are, are coming in the near future. (laughs) Not yet, but you know, in the next few years, probably. And that's one of the things that we always talk about. That's so important is being proud, being proud of who they are, being proud of the languages that they will speak um, and being connected to their culture, where they come from, where their father comes from. That's so important to me. I never want a situation where our future children are just here in America and all their culture is stripped from them. There's no language there. They feel embarrassed to be who they are because absolutely that should never, ever, ever be the case because honestly, I think from an American perspective, and I've seen Mm -hmm. other American, I think what happens in American schools sometimes is that actually those, the kids in the classroom who are different than the other kids are actually the envy of the other kids. The other kids do sometimes like want Mm -hmm. to have something cool and interesting about them. But what happens is, is I think when kids get into that dynamic, there's this like, oh, like, you know, instead of turning that into a positive thing, somehow it turns into like the shameful thing, which should never, ever, ever happen. So I really love that. That's how you're raising your sons. And, you know, I just, I just think that's something that's so important because, and it's, and it's cool to hear your perspective and it's cool to hear your perspective as somebody who's in it right now, because I'm still trying, you know, my husband and I, like, that's something that we talk about all the time. I think that's the most important thing. Like, how do we make sure there is confidence there, you know, they're proud and we keep the culture and everything that goes yeah. along with it alive at all times. Yeah. 
And, you know, honestly, that is, it's, I'm sure it's something that's on a lot of parents' minds, you know, um, anyone with, with any Asian descent, uh, any Asian heritage. And I want to bring up a maybe slightly controversial point. Um, the experience of Asian American women and Asian American men is actually very different. Uh, so it's like, I've had this discussion with my husband multiple times, like as, an Asian woman coming to America, it's interesting because it's like, it's almost like we are, like our sexuality is being, um, what is the word, fetishized and also um, exploited, exploited. Uh, But, you know, but at the same time, it's like, we, we have an easier time, you know, than, than guys who come here because their masculinity is being questioned because the Asian form of masculinity is different from the Western form, right? In the West, West masculinity is very external. It's, you know, it's muscled, it's height, it's strength, it's speaking with in a particular way, right? And that's, that's not the Asian uh, understanding of it. And how do we raise kids that's going to be like we have boys so how do we raise them to be masculine enough uh to you know it's not not to compensate for it but to just be aware of that um difference in expectations or how do we ignore that and be like we're okay with not conforming to that masculine ideal right so so yeah so these are all all the conversations that we do have and think about as well Absolutely. I love that you bring that up because that is something that my husband and I were literally just talking about the other day, oddly enough, is just the difference between treatments of of Asian women and Asian men in America. And it's so interesting. It's something that I had certainly never thought about before. But when you start to dig into it, I mean, of course it's there, you know, and I I don't, we could get like deep and into like the weeds of like where that might come from or different things like that. But that is a very, I think that's a very important observation, especially for um, those in our audience who are American or who are, you know, who are not Asian. And I think that's a very important thing to be cognizant of um, out in the world, especially when we're talking about how we change the world and the way that we treat other people and, and all of that. So I just, I love that you bring that up. Um, one of the other things too, that I run into personally, when I think about the life that I'm living right now, and then transitioning into the stage of life that you're currently in. And one of those things is stability, you know? So, um, right now, like (laughs) when we're not in the middle of a pandemic, usually my husband Mm -hmm. and I, we travel a lot, you know, whether it's internationally or it's just domestically, we're usually all over the place, all over the place, visiting different places, different visiting family and friends and, and all of that. And (laughs) we've heard a few comments here and there, like, well, when you have kids, like your Mm -hmm. life's going to change and all of Mm -hmm. that. But there's a part in me where Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, it doesn't have to change. I can do both. And Mm -hmm. I feel like you are somebody who has done both, but I'd love to know from your perspective, how have your thoughts around stability evolved as you've transitioned into motherhood? Has, did you feel like you were making a trade-off or did you feel like it was more of a natural progression and you're, you're still able to do both or what is that like for you? Oh my God, this is such a great question because Oh my God, we're we're in the exact same boat, right? Like literally the year before Sebastian was born, I was still traveling like 
maybe 80% of the time, you know? Um, so I was like, like lots of modern women, I was very afraid of what motherhood spelled for, you know, does it mean that I'm going to be stagnant in one spot for the next 18 years of my life? Right. So, uh, I had a shifting, uh, like my views on this shifted gradually over time. So when Sebastian first came, I was exactly like you. I was like, I can still do it, right? Like, I'm just going to travel with him. And I did actually, um, like the first two years, um, kids travel pretty much for free. So I was just like, okay, you're going to tag on to me. I want to go to the US today. You're going to come with me. I want to go to Japan tomorrow. You're going to come with me. And that is one version. Actually, you're still able to do that depending on your career situation. Like during that time, I wasn't working. And financially, I was able to afford it. Um, the only question was whether or not I was able to take care of one kid and still enjoy the traveling. And from my own experience, I was able to do that, right? But some of my friends are not able to do that. Like, you know, the stresses of having a child or a toddler or a baby is, is very different for every person. So there shouldn't be any shame around that either, you know, is like, if you feel like you need to stay in one spot and, you know, where traveling is not fun for you anymore, then don't force yourself to do it. And then what mm -hmm. happened later on was that, okay, so, so then I kind of like, I was like, okay, I'm able to travel and experience the world with Sebastian. That's great. And then Kiki comes along, that's two kids. Then I really wasn't like I was physically incapable of enjoying the traveling after that. Also because financially then it became also prohibitive because now you're, you know, paying for like three air tickets potentially, or like you're dragging along a big group of people to travel Then really, you know, so, so then after Kiki was born and also because COVID hit, then we kind of stopped traveling. However, this is what really, really shocked me. I am, so much enjoying the stability that I have right now that it's like, if you talk to the person I was five years ago, like that, like that person would be like, Oh my God, you've turned into one of those parents that just stays put in one place. Like what's wrong with you. Right. So I had so much judgment around that. And I, but you know, I realized it's because your kids are always changing the only constant with children is that they are growing and they're never the same today versus tomorrow versus a day after that. So with so much change going on, you really don't want to add to that chaos. You know, having some stability in the environment actually creates a sense of balance. You know, previously when it's just me or when it's just my husband and we have, you know, stable jobs, that is stability. And so we crave that instability of traveling and having new experiences. But kids itself is a new, ex new experience every single day and is a challenge already. So then you need something else to balance that, right? So, so that's why my thoughts around stability has completely changed. And I, you know, I want to encourage you to not be afraid of it uh, because when the time comes, you will learn to embrace it. And what I think we need to allow women to know is that it's okay to embrace it as well. Yeah. I really, I really, really love that. I mean, that is, 
that is such a fresh perspective that I think is not out there at all. I I've never heard it anywhere else except from you, but it makes so much sense because I think, you know, when you're younger and like you said, like when you have the stable job, that's the stable part. And a lot of the change you're, you're going to seek that instability like that, you know, more of like almost like a nomadic traveling lifestyle sometimes or, or whatever. But then when you, I love how you talk about that shift happens when you move into parenthood and then all that change that was super exciting externally is now happening internally inside your home. And that is such a cool perspective because it's so true. And I think, you know, maybe you don't realize that until you get there for many people, I, I haven't gotten there yet, but it, it's just really cool to hear that perspective because yeah. I feel like, I feel like so many people, and I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe we're talking to the wrong people sometimes, but um, I feel like some people are like, oh, it's like doom and gloom. Like when you have kids, like get ready, you're going to be like tied to your house or whatever. But that's why is that a bad thing too, at the same time, yeah. like you were saying. So I just, I really, really love that perspective. That's something that I think I'm going to carry with me. throughout this next chapter in my life absolutely i i definitely heard you saying that i think it was in one of your videos that you said you know for kids every day is a different scene for them they're Mm -hmm. growing up and that just put me into perspective because for the longest time i think it was maybe because when i am old enough i kind Mm -hmm. of forgot how exciting it was to be a kid right right and I yeah. remembered when I was like 12, 13 year old, I, I, I kind of remember that I told myself, like, I would never forget how right. either painful, exciting, like, because the adults didn't get it at that time when I was 12 and 13 year old, wow. I would talk to myself, I would be like, I will never forget it when I grow up. And now I grew up and I forgot it. And now- <laughs> And then I saw you saying this, and then I realized, wait, hold on a second. This is my kid that I will be potentially and potentially uh, raising in the future. Not only is a kid, it's a human. It's a new thing. It's like a new new creature to this world. For them, like free weather change, like wind blows. That's new. That's exciting. Right. For that, yeah. like, and I, I'm just thinking, you know, it is a lot of excitement for them. And then as, a, as maybe a parent or just even as just an adult, I think what the least I could do is to accommodate that excitement and take it as not for granted, like treat it as yeah. something that, yeah, it makes sense, dude. It's exciting, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As we're going towards the end of the uh, interview, uh, if you could give one piece of advice to anyone uh, about motherhood, what would it be? Okay. Well, I'm so glad you asked that, but at the same time, I can't summarize it into one advice. However, I think, um, this is sort of like my overall observation of what motherhood is. I think motherhood is creative destruction. It destroys you in every conceivable way from your body, you know, your breast, your vagina, your tummy, everything's going to be different. Your self-identity, your hobby, how you spend your time. So it destroys who you were, but it builds you up into this new you, you know, after you've been completely demolished 
you somehow magically find yourself, you know, rising from the ashes, you know, eventually you have to become stronger and tougher mm. and you become more complete, you know, because well, not to say that people don't have kids are not complete, but I feel like this experience actually gives me uh, a different understanding of what mm-hmm. life is about because now I can also view it through the lens of my parents, of the mm. struggle they went through, about my relationship with them, about mm-hmm. not just being the receiver of, um, um, you know, being the mm-hmm. receiver. Now, as a kid, you're a receiver, a, 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 a childless person in general. Like it's when, when I didn't have kids, it was all about me. Everything's about me right? It's my career, it's my time, it's my passion, my hobby, my time to shine. Everything's about me. And reasonably, it should be so because you are single, you are by yourself. But now that I'm a parent, I, for the first time in my life, even though I'm such a narcissist, and I'm such a performer, like I happily want them to take center stage. And I want Mm -hmm. to experience life through their lens. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was just talking with my other girlfriend about this, Lily, who appears in, you know, a lot of my mm, videos. Yeah. She is a mom of four and I respect and admire her so much. And I look up to her actually a lot of mm-hmm. times. And and we're just saying, you know, actually, when we were younger, if we had met in our 20s, she and I actually maybe wouldn't be friends because mm-hmm. we are so similar. We're so competitive and we're so... Um, in, our, in a way, we both had our own personal charisma, but, but because we became mothers, you know, like we mm-hmm. really now embody this other energy that is more about empowering other people and also about nurturing somebody else instead of just wanting to hog that limelight for myself. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, motherhood is creative destruction and, um, you got to experience the destruction before you can experience the product of your creation. Mm-hmm. That's amazing because it reminds me of one uh, Chinese idiom that I learned. It's like, Okay, that's debatable. Like, you know, women yes. were born to be weak, but yes. that, that's, that's debatable. But the, the power of a motherhood, it's something that's so gentle, but it's also so powerful. It's, it's, it's yes. amazing. And like, I, I really admire that. And Diana, thank you so much for talking through your life experience, being like a creator, you're being, being just a live example of, of, you know, someone who, who, who lived a life, who lives life to its fullest and, um, and still shines. So thank you so much. Thank you guys so much, you know, for kind of creating this conversation and having this space, you know, for, for us to share our thoughts around cross-cultural learnings and also becoming mothers. Yeah. 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 It's it's possible as a bilingual and also multicultural individual, you can still living in between and have a good life and shines. You demonstrate that for us, and uh, we will we will carry carry on. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to join in on the conversation. Connect with us on Instagram at spark underscore podcast. 
and Facebook at The Spark Podcast with Megan Amy, or send us an email at hellosparkpodcast at gmail.com. And wherever you may be listening from, we hope you have the courage to be the spark.